Hello and welcome again to another podcast of The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. Uh, for my second 100 podcast, what I'm doing now is going through previous books and giving you another chapter, another section to focus on. So this time I want to go back to a book that I really enjoy by Clay Jones. He's the author of Why Does God Allow Evil? And this one's called Immortal. And uh, I like the comment. Sean McDowell says, insightful, well-researched, and convincing. This book is a game changer. Lee Strobel says, it's honest, hard-hitting, unflinching. Uh, this book dares to tackle the uncomfortable topic of death, but does so with creativity, wisdom, grace, and hope. So this time, I want to do a chapter called Mortality Mitigation Projects. Kind of a mouthful. But basically, what Jones is asking here is, how do atheists cope with their impending death. You know, they we all have a fear of death, so the secular person has to come up with some kind of way past this. So he says atheists have come up with a host of methods to mitigate the horror of death. So I'm going to run through them. Uh, it's a good-sized chapter, so I'm going to go through it fairly quickly. One way the atheist deals with this is the comment that if you live forever... It would be a curse. Immortality would be really boring. Uh, in fact, one author says it would be a death-like realm of stupefying boredom. So I thought that was interesting. I hadn't heard of that one before. Uh, whereas Jones says, well, I'm looking forward to having a body that would be superior to any body that any athlete ever had. That's the Christian hope. So we're not going to be living forever as we are right now. Says so typical for the atheist arguments is that Immortality is presented just like this life, this humdrum, finite existence. Well, that's not what the Bible promises. That's not what Jesus promised. We're not going to continue forever on this planet the way it is now. Jesus is coming back. He's going to make all things new. That's what Revelation says. And we'll live forever in the new heavens and new earth with new possibilities and unbelievable experiences that we would have. So it's a false picture that the atheist brings up. The idea is if we just do the same thing over and over again like we've been doing now, ho-hum. But uh, that's not what is being promised here. We don't believe, as Jones says, that God, who's created everything seen and unseen, is going to stop creating. And uh, we're going to have an infinitely changing variety of foods and pleasures and stories. So I think that's a good comeback to that uh, atheist hope. Here's another um, atheist consolation you have to die so that you can get out of the way for others to live. Uh, after all, atheists say if you live forever, then the later generations would never come into their own. They wouldn't be their own boss, so to speak. And Jones says, well, okay, that could be an earthly problem, but we're talking about heaven. There's going to be a realignment. We're not going to be under the authority of our earthly parents, and they won't be under the authority of their parents. So that seems a little different. Steve Jobs, he reports, uh, said that death was probably the best, single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Well, that sounded good when he wrote that in 2005. But as Jones says, I wonder if six years later, when uh, Steve Jobs was dying, did he really believe death was the single best invention of life? Oh, I doubt that immensely. Here's a third way that Jones says uh, atheists try to deal with the idea of death. We're going to die, and that makes us the lucky ones. That's Richard Dawkins talking. So we, we just have to be feeling lucky that we had a chance to be born. 
Now, Michael Shermer, who is the Skeptic magazine publisher, he says, we can face death and life with gratitude for a chance at life. But as as Jones points out, is everyone lucky to be alive? I mean, think about the Hindus and Buddhists. What do they look forward to? The snuffing out of their existence, nirvana. I guess you could say you're lucky to be alive, but it doesn't tell you about the badness of death itself, does it? If I'm lucky to be alive, doesn't that indicate, as Jones says, that being alive is actually a good thing? If it's a good thing, then I ought to be depressed by the fact that I'm not going to live any longer. Is there really solace when you face death that others never got a chance to exist? And he says, you know, people like Shermer and uh, Richard Dawkins, they don't believe that the two-year-old who dies of cancer was lucky to be alive. So that seems like a pretty uh, thin uh, motivation there. Here's another strategy the atheist will have. Here's the fourth one. You just tell yourself that death is no big deal. Death is nothing. Sam Harris, who's an atheist, says the good news of atheism, the gospel of atheism, is essentially nothing. Nothing happens after death. There's nothing to worry about. And that's actually what Bart Ehrman, uh, who started out as a Christian and ended up a a critic, a skeptic, he says, my view is that death is the end of the story. He says, death doesn't bother me anymore. You know, the idea that it doesn't bother you before you were born, why would it bother you after you're dead? Well, he has a section here, of course, that responds to that, Jones does, and he says, of course, notice what they're hoping for or what they believe. When you die, that's the end, right? It's annihilation. You're gone. But of course, as Jones says, what if there's eternal punishment? Well, of course, that's the Christian message, and if so, that changes everything, doesn't it? Uh, He has a quote here from a person who says, Each individual speaking in the first person can say, my death obliterates me, not only am I deprived of future goods, I'm also destroyed. This person about whom I care so much will cease to exist. My memories, values, beliefs, perspectives, hopes, my very self will come to an end and for all eternity. Well, there it goes. That's pretty, uh, that's cold water in your face, isn't it? Now, Jones gets back to this idea of death as annihilation. So, you won't suffer once you're annihilated. But if, and of course a big if here, if the idea of God is real, the Christian conception of God, then we've got a serious problem. <laughs> yeah, everybody does. After death comes judgment. And so uh, that's that's something that ought to sober up a lot of people that think about no big deal. After you die, it's all over. Uh, Jones also mentions that death horrifies us because God set eternity in our hearts. And that comes from Ecclesiastes. All right, here's a fifth way that the atheist will try to deal with the idea of death. Detachment. That's Buddhism, isn't it? The Four Noble Truths. First truth is to live means to suffer. Second truth is the origin of suffering is attachment. We have to detach if we want to succeed in in dealing with death. But as Jones points out, is this detachment achievable by the average person? How do you detach yourself from your spouse or your children? Wouldn't you hurt them? Could you be successful in business without caring to be successful? I mean, if you detach, what are you doing? You're deadening your life. It, it may allay your fear of death if you're willing to ruin your life here. If you just, I mean, what, what's going on is you're living your life as if your life doesn't matter. That's detachment. 
Well, yeah, you can make it so that you don't fear death because you're already dead. I thought that was a good point that Jones brought up. In fact, he says it's kind of like this. Because I fear death so much, I'll make myself miserable so I won't fear death so much. Pretty ironic statement there. Jones also points out that detachment is actually selfish. And he tells the story of the Buddha who left his wife and left his son. Now, he's, he didn't say goodbye. He felt like family and chores and being part of a situation like that was like a shackle. In fact, his uh, son's name meant fetter or shackle. He says, we, we shouldn't buy into any counsel, any idea that says we shouldn't care too much about people to protect ourselves, to protect our family members. So detachment is really the opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself, as he points out as well. I'm not going to love you very much, says Jones, so I won't be hurt. That's all about loving yourself more than your neighbor. Of course, that's the opposite message that Jesus gave. We're supposed to love the Lord our God, but we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, another way to detach yourself, according to the atheist, is called live in the present. That's called mindfulness as well. And a lot of people are talking about that. Just enjoy the moment right now. And of course, as Jones points out, that if everything is going well, then living in the moment isn't that hard. You know, you got a good job, you got a good family, you got uh, health and all this kind of stuff. But what if you have severe pain? Living in the moment doesn't cut much, does it? It leaves a lot to be desired. In fact, they did a study of randomized controlled trials that found there was just low quality evidence that mindful meditation would associate with a small decrease of pain. Well, that's good. But what if you're really suffering? That doesn't seem to help. What about even though, as Jones says, what if if you really are experiencing a time when you're living well? Is that living in the present a good idea? Well, how do we accomplish so many of the valuable things in life without drawing from our past and inform our future? We, We really need to do that as well. If you're only living in the moment, Jones says, you might ignore future problems to which you really should be attending. He has research uh, here that indicates that people are happier when they're connected to the past and the future. Okay, well, there goes that idea. He actually says, you know, living in the present is unrealistic. Does that mean you're not going to attend the funerals of loved ones? Are you going to hide from suffering friends and family members? He says that's a folly to live in the moment when people are suffering around us right now. And speaking of suffering, he said, We shouldn't be like children who don't want to hear bad news, putting our hands over our ears and going, la, 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 I can't hear you. He says, you know, if Christianity is true, suffering has meaning. It unsettles our worldliness, doesn't it? It kind of jerks us out of this world. It humiliates our self-deification as well. It drives us to find an end to suffering. And actually, if we humble ourselves, suffering can drive us to focus on the end of suffering that's available for all eternity, if we believe in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Now, I've done a talk on pain and evil and suffering, and I think Jones has it exactly right. So the bottom line, he says, regarding living in the moment, he says that's impossible. And even if it were possible, it would lead to fewer happy moments in the future. Here's another uh, principle, maybe, that the uh, atheist will try out. The individual existence is unreal. That's a Buddhist principle again, that 
If everything is one, that's known as monism, if everything is one, then your individual existence is not real. Okay, so maybe that's a way to, to deal with it. We're, we're not living by ourselves. We're part of the whole. He has a story here about Susan Sontag, a uh, literary person. She spent her last couple of years battling cancer, and her son later reported that she wrote in her journal, Death is unbearable unless you can get beyond the eye. But then he adds, she, could, she who could do so many things in her life could never do that. Yeah, exactly. How do, you, how do you disconnect like that to think your individual existence is unreal? That's not going to happen. Just time to get real here. So these are some of the things. I guess there's one more that uh, he focuses on that strikes me as really odd, not on his behalf, but the, the fact that... Uh, People, atheists especially, come up with this one. That is, well, when you die, you actually go on. How do you go on? You go on as particles. One person said, when we die, our bodies break up and become part again of the cycle of nature. Can you hear that? The song cycle of life again. So that sounds good. Really? The dust is something wonderful idea? He says, you know, that doesn't really wash with a lot of skeptics. A Yale philosopher, Shelley Kagan, said, you know, I don't find any comfort at all in the thought that my atoms will still be around getting reused in something else. Gosh, no kidding. So we don't long to be submerged into that vast all. We crave substance. We crave identity. We, we want to be a person, not just a shadow of immortality. Going on as dust isn't going on at all. No kidding. He says toward the end of the chapter, which I think is a good point, is that skeptics say Christians constructed Christianity to take care of their fear of death. But he said, notice what the skeptics have done to embrace uh, what they've embraced to flee their fear of death. How successful, he says, are all these attempts to mitigate the horror of death? Well, in Psychology Today, there's a physician, Alan Lickerman, who says this, I've tried to resolve my fear of death intellectually and come to the conclusion that it can't be done at least not by me. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So, kind of the summary here toward the end, he actually let Sam Harris have a summary. You know, Sam Harris is an atheist, out-and-out out atheist, very strong uh, belief, and he says, you know, I think we can admit that atheism doesn't offer real consolation on this point. He says, we don't have any consolation when we face death. We've tried, and these are some of the methods that he talks about here in this chapter, Clay Jones. So I would just uh, recommend this book, again, it's called Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. Of course, he has a very positive uh, end to the book as well. But I, I just wanted to share this chapter with you. So we'll come back to this book again another time. So thank you for uh, listening, and I hope you have a good day, and talk to you again soon.